the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What difference at this point does it make? Oh, shut up. If you've got health insurance, you can keep it. If you like your health care plan, you will keep your plan. If you've got health insurance, you like your doctor, you like your plan, you can keep your doctor, you can keep your plan. I'm as bad as hell, but I'm not going to take this anymore. Welcome to another thrill-packed edition of Unite IE Radio. My name is Greg Britton with the Redlands Tea Party Patriots. I'm joined by co-host Don Dix, the head of the Corona chapter of Act for America, and by historian and best-selling author John Hancock. And we are pleased to be joined at our guest today, Douglas Gibbs, who is a noted expert in the Constitution. He's the author of the book, 25 Myths of the United States Constitution and the Basic Constitution. He teaches classes in Corona and Menifee? Corona, Temecula, and Lake Elsinore. And the interesting thing about Doug is he's not a guy who's, he hasn't gone to law school. That's in his favor. He hasn't gone to any, he hasn't gone to Harvard, Yale, or any of these highbrow universities, but on his own, he has studied the Constitution, actually read the Constitution and the history behind it, and has become quite the expert in that area. I don't always agree with him, but he has been very knowledgeable, and as knowledgeable as these guys that are professors of prestigious law schools. Wait a minute, Obama was a professor of the Constitution, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. you, you, know. you know why he got called that, uh, because he... At the University of, of Chicago, he taught how to use the 14th Amendment to create racial division. That's what he taught. And he was actually not a professor, but a lecturer, yeah, a, lecturer a guest yeah, lecturer, a which guest lecturer, has yeah. gotten extrapolated into uh, Grand Exalted Imperial Poobah of the <laughs> University of Chicago. I think, I, think that's a, I think that's Obama's official title for himself now. <laughs> well, welcome, welcome, Doug. And the reason why we have you today is there's a lot of discussion going on in the media. And I know that on the Redlands Tea Party Patriots Facebook page and elsewhere, a discussion of whether Ted Cruz is qualified to be a is qualified to be president, and people that like him tend to think he is. People that don't like him tend to say, well, maybe not. And the relevant language from the Constitution is no person except a natural-born citizen or a citizen of the United States at the time of the adoption of the Constitution shall be eligible to the office of president Neither shall any person be eligible to that office who shall not have attained the age of 35 years and have been 14 years a resident within the United States. So the big question is, what is a natural-born citizen? And your opinion is? Well, first of all, the language in what you just read uh, explains to us that natural-born citizen and citizen are very different things. Uh, you notice that it said, or citizen of the United States at the time of the Constitution, because there technically wasn't a natural-born citizen yet. The country would only been a country since 1776, so all the natural-born citizens were kids. Uh, so, uh, But they said natural-born citizen or citizen of the United States. So that or tells us there is a difference between a natural-born citizen and a citizen. Now, the greatest influence on the Constitutional Convention when it came to uh, legal language was 
uh, two things. Number one, British common law, and the second thing was Vattel's Law of Nations. Vattel's is V-A-T-E-L-L, apostrophe S, Vattel's Law of Nations. And in fact, Benjamin Franklin... A French monarchist, by the way. I'm sorry? A French monarchist. Well, yeah, a French monarchist, but what he did is he collected... Uh, the commonalities in laws with all the nations of the Western world. Now, this is not. This does not mean that Vattel's Law of Nations was uh, required. They didn't have to follow it. it. wasn't necessary. The reason why this is important is because it gives us a definition. I mean, if if in two hundred years from now someone read somewhere or saw in one of our old television broadcasts someone say the word fast food, they may not know what it means, and we don't necessarily. We wouldn't necessarily have attached to that thing a disclaimer saying fast food means and explain it because it's common language, just like natural born citizen was. So we have to go back and find the definition somewhere. Vattel's Law of Nations is one of those places, and it was important to them. Uh, George Washington had a copy, uh, which he never borrowed from the never returned after borrowing from New York Library. So, in other words, what that means is George Washington never told a lie, but he also didn't return library books. <laughs> but uh, And it was found out, it was discovered in 2010. Matter of fact, um, uh, New York Times actually did an article about it, and he uh, owed almost uh, $300,000 in late library fees. Wow. But uh, And it was Vittel's Law of Nations. Um, ben, ben Franklin owned three copies, two for the convention, one for himself. So it was important to them. And in Vittel's Law of Nations, uh, this is it defines that children born of two U.S. citizens, regardless of the re- location of birth, um, have to be natural-born citizens. And later in Vattel's Law of Nations, it adds, has to be born on the soil. So if you go by Vattel's Law of Nations only, you have to be born on American soil, and both parents have to be citizens at the time of birth. Now, there was a clarification made later with the Immigration and Naturalization Act of 1790, which defined natural-born citizen, but used the uh, citizens in the world in, in plural form, meaning both parents. And it, what it does is it allows people that are born outside the United States also to be natural-born citizens. Mm-hmm. And that would make sense when you have military, diplomats, things like that. But then five years later, that was repealed. James Madison wrote a new act without the language natural-born citizen. A lot of people be- believe that that's because they abandoned that definition. I believe it was because it was an Immigration and Naturalization Act. Natural-born citizen is something different, and they realized the language did not need to be in the act. So you would read the Immigration Act of 1790 as requiring both mother and father. Absolutely. At least least when born overseas. Well, absolutely. Well, here's what it says. Uh, All the children of citizens, plural, of the United States that may be born beyond sea or out of the limits of the United States shall be considered as natural-born citizens, provided that the right of citizenship shall not descend to persons whose fathers have never been resident in the United States. So not only did both parents need to be citizens, but the dad had to been a resident at one time. Well, I think the latter clause strongly indicates that mother only is not going to give you citizenship, at least under that act. Right. Father's very important. And, and if you go back to English uh, common law, British common law, citizenship went through the bloodline of the father. Okay, but there were English statutes at the time. That the, 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 the country was formed, right. that would have conveyed citizenship based on father only, and then there's a little more, it's a little murkier. It would have conveyed rights, kind of like a citizen, based on mother only. Well, you know what was fascinating about what was going on in Britain is English uh, common law originally meaning 
The meaning of natural born uh, was limited to being physically on the nation's soil. But as time passed in the decades before the American Revolution, mm-hmm. the British Parliament repeatedly expanded the meaning of natural born by statute, eventually including even children born of British parents on foreign soil. Uh, William Blackstone, the leading 18th century English legal authority, used the past tense in 1765, however, wanting to go back to some of the stronger versions, being born on soil and so forth. Uh, now, and British common law was very influential, but we have to remember also, they just fought a war against Britain. So a, a lot of the influence on what natural born citizen meant also had a lot to do with that, which we can explain in a minute. Uh, but uh, you have another question. No, what we want to do is take a break real quick before we uh, continue to dig into this. And we're going to get into a whole lot of other topics regarding this presidential campaign. We're visiting with Doug Gibbs. He's a teacher of the Constitution. Um, great guy. A great uh, family man. His classes, you can find out more. If you want to learn more about the Constitution, I encourage you to go to the UniteIE.com website. His classes are taught weekly uh, on Tuesday nights in Corona at 6 p.m. Uh, on uh, Thursday nights at 6.30 in Temecula. And then the other one is... Yeah, in- yeah Lake Elsinore is a newer class, uh, 6 o'clock um, each Monday night of the month, except for the third Monday night, because I have a board meeting that night. <laughs> there you go. We'll be back with more on this topic of natural-born citizenship of Ted Cruz and other things related to our uh, presidential campaign contest that's going on after a message from our sponsor. Ed Hoffman of Wholesale Capital Corporation, the place to go for your real estate lending needs, residential and commercial. Ed's great patron and sponsor of our show. More with on the Constitution and with Doug Gibbs after this message. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lenders. It's all but certain now that we are about to see interest rates begin to rise after several years of being spoiled with historically low interest rates. But don't panic, it's not the end of the world. What it does mean is that if you've been thinking about the purchase of a new home, the purchase of a vacation home or investment property, or if you don't want to buy, but you need to refinance the home you have to lower the rate, remove the mortgage insurance, or to pull out cash to pay higher interest, higher payment, credit cards, auto loans, or student loan debt, or if you're a senior and have been considering looking into that reverse mortgage thing that everyone seems to be talking about lately, then call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. I'll run the numbers for you and let you know what all your options are, the pros and cons of each one, and help you steer towards a decision that makes the most sense for you and your family. Once again, the number is 855-640-2020, or get me on the web at wccloans.com. And listen to my show, The Main Event, Saturdays at 9.30 a.m. and 9 o'clock p.m. and Sundays at 4 o'clock, right here on AM 590, The Answer. AM 590, The Answer. Welcome back to Night IE Radio Program. My name is John Hancock, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Don Dix and Greg Britton, and we have a guest today, our constitutional expert, um, Doug Gibbs. And Doug, you know, you were talking about how English common law, it evolved, and, and at one point it was only people born naturally in England, in Britain, that became British citizens. But then they changed that to include people born of British parents in another country, which would have been the American colonist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, this whole thing of the uh, natural-born citizen, that was at the heart of the American Revolution when it was being fought, because some of the British were saying, no, those people aren't, the American colonists aren't entitled to rights of Englishmen. Right. And, you know, the expansion of citizenship and natural born citizenship uh, under British law had to expand because they were colonizing. And as a and as a nation colonizing the world, they had to allow these colonists in different parts of the world to be a, to fall under the Commonwealth or to fall under uh, the British realm. Uh, but uh, in, a, in the American society, 
after the war, as they're trying to figure out how they're going to do this, remember, Britain was the enemy. So now let's think about this for a second. Britain was the enemy, and we've got only 3% of the population fought the American Revolution, and only a third of the population supported it. Right. A third of the population were Tories. They were loyalists to the British crown. And during that time period, statistically, Tories tended to be the children of at least one British-born parent. So here's the question. You just fought Great Britain, or the British Empire, should I say, and now you're creating this new system, and the president is going to be the commander-in-chief. Do you want to allow for the opportunity of someone who's a loyalist to Britain to be the commander-in-chief? Mm-hmm. It creates a situation. Well, one way to guard against that and guard against divided loyalties and divided allegiance is to require that every child who has both parents as citizens can be a natural-born citizen. But if one of their citizens is born in, say, Britain... They're not natural born. They may be a citizen of the United States, but because of that potential divided allegiance, we don't want them to be commander in chief. So that was a very important reason behind this definition. Of course, down the, on the other side of this, the uh, the Constitution doesn't say any of those any of those things. And uh, there's a whole series of very eminent people that, such as there's a Harvard Law Review article by two former. Uh, Solicitor General. The, the Solicitor General argues the government's cases before the Supreme Court, and one of these guys is a Republican, one of them is a Democrat, and they both concluded that Ted Cruz is a natural-born citizen. The noted Chapman University constitutional professor, uh, John Eastman, is of the same view. Andrew McCarthy is of the same view. Mark Levin is of the same view. Um, somebody else whose name is escaping me for the moment. Well, is, well, uh, well, and meanwhile, legal scholars Mary McManamum and uh, Einar Elhaj have published deft analysis arguing that the Constitution did not consider U.S. citizens born abroad, such as Cruz, to be natural born. Cause, and their argument, once again, is born on American soil. They're sticking to uh, Vittel's Law of Nations. And then there's uh, Andy Pryor, who is uh, Texas chairman for America's Party News, and he's a linguist. And uh, he took he broke down the language of Vittel's Law of Nations, many of the documents of that time period, letters of the time period. And of uh, and the Immigration Naturalization Act of 1790, and he came to the conclusion based on linguistic analysis, both parents need to be citizens. And in his opinion, which actually disagrees with mine, also born on American soil. Okay. Well, what is interesting that since you bring up the the linguistics part, you know, it, when you read the Constitution, this is one of the issues I have, is that it says a person, no person except a natural born citizen, comma, or a citizen of the United States, comma. At the time of the adoption of this, um, of of the uh, Constitution, that you know, to me, I have a problem with that comma after the part. It, it's like it's separating it out, or a citizen of the United States. Mm-hmm. Well, then a comma. Well, it's, it's that, like not instead of just. It would be more clear if it was just one sentence. Yeah. Well, it, of course, uh, when when you really break it down and you read uh, Madison's notes during the convention, uh, what they were trying to do is say that. The president has to be a natural-born citizen. However, we don't have natural-born citizens right now. W- what do we do? Well, we've got to put this extra part, and a citizen of the United States, at the time of this Constitution. Do you think the framers intended, so, for example, a child, if Thomas Jefferson or John Adams or John Jay, when they were serving as ambassadors, had, had children in, in foreign countries, would they have been natural-born citizens, of, in your view? 
uh, if you want to use the language from the Immigration Naturalization Act of 1790, yes, if the other parent was an American citizen. I'll give you an example. My wife uh, was an immigrant. She didn't naturalize till 2007. Both of my children were born prior to that, so they can't run for president. They're not natural-born citizens. They're citizens. They're not natural-born citizens. Now, if we had a child now, that child would be because my wife is a citizen. Okay. Would being born in the United States but not of two U.S. citizens, in your view, be natural-born citizen? No. And in some cases, not even a citizen. So under that view, I think Marco Rubio is also not qualified, is he not? Marco Rubio is not qualified. Bobby Jindal is not qualified. And what about Barack Obama? Barack Obama could have been born on the front steps of the White House and he wouldn't be eligible just by his own admission. <laughs> so so let's, let's turn our attention to um, – so that's the definition. There's a uh, argument, maybe perhaps a legal constitutional argument to be had in the courts – but but there's a practical side of all this now. Mm-hmm. Will it be, and how will it be uh, done? Because, as you say, if it's determined based on some of this uh, interpretation that Ted Cruz is not a natural-born citizen, that opens the door for the conversation about Ted, uh, right. you know, Marco Rubio. That opens the conversation. I don't know. You can't do much about the fact that Barack Obama has been. But doesn't this open up a Pandora's box? All right, well, here's a problem. It, with the legal system, it's all about case law. It's all about you know prior opinion. There is no case law they believe. There is, but I'll get into that in a minute. They, according to what we've been seeing, the, the Supreme Court and any of the federal courts have never visited this issue. Therefore, they have to create their own interpretation. And considering Barack Obama, I doubt that they're going to find him ineligible simply because they don't want to open that Pandora's box. However, there is legal precedence. There has been a visit to this issue, not only by the Supreme Court, by the, but by the Chief Justice of the United States. 1875. Let's, my- hold, let's hold that over the uh, over the break. Okay. We'll, we'll, do, okay. we'll create a little suspense here for our listeners, and we'll get into that to- <laughs> that very topic along with the practical side of this whole issue when we come back after this message from our sponsor, reminding you, Doug Gibbs, who lectures and teaches on the U.S. Constitution. You can attend his classes on Tuesday nights in Corona, on Thursday nights in Temecula, and every Monday night except for one. In uh, Lake Elsinore. In Lake Elsinore. And we'll get you those addresses and direct you to where you can get more information about that after this break from... Ed Hoffman of Wholesale Capital Corporation, a great patriot and a sponsor of this half of Unite, Unite IE Radio. Ed is the place to go for your real estate lending needs. More with Doug Gibbs and the Constitution after this message. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lenders. It's all but certain now that we are about to see interest rates begin to rise after several years of being spoiled with historically low interest rates. But don't panic. It's not the end of the world. What it does mean is that if you've been thinking about the purchase of a new home, the purchase of a vacation home or investment property, or if you don't want to buy but you need to refinance the home, you have to lower the rate, remove the mortgage insurance, or to pull out cash to pay higher interest, higher payment, credit cards, auto loans, or student loan debt. Or if you're a senior and have been considering looking into that reverse mortgage thing that everyone seems to be talking about lately, then call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. I'll run the numbers for you and let you know what all your options are, the pros and cons of each one, and help you steer towards a decision that makes the most sense for you and your family. Once again, the number is 855-640-2020, or get me on the web at wccloans.com. And listen to my show, The Main Event, Saturdays at 9.30 a.m. and 9 o'clock p.m. and Sundays at 4 o'clock, right here on AM 590, The Answer. AM 590. 
the answer. Welcome back to the United Inland Empire radio program. My name is Don Dix, and as always, joined by my co-hosts, Greg Britton and John Hancock. And we're visiting today with a local celebrity, Doug Gibbs, who teaches the Constitution. We're talking about the possible eligibility of uh, specifically the conversation opened up about Ted Cruz. But now we've also discovered there may be hitches with possibly Marco Rubio's natural-born citizenshipness, And, of course, that co- that conversation bleeds over into whether or not Barack Obama was eligible. Doug was just making the case. We were talking about the theoretical uh, definitions as established by the Constitution when the framers wrote the Constitution and where some of that history came from. And now we've segued over into sort of that practical side. How does this uh, ultimately uh, p- play out in this presidential uh, contest, uh, you were just getting ready to bring up the uh, very real side of this issue, which is case law. Mm-hmm. We have to uh, deal in this country with the pragmatic side of is there case law? Has this issue been discussed? And has there been a determination in the past? And you were going to bring up a case that speaks to this very issue. Well, as Greg and I have uh, discussed before, uh, and he, th- when he early mentioned that he doesn't agree with me ever, everything, this is it. Uh, I am not a fan of case law. I don't believe that case law has any place in interpreting the Constitution. Um, Greg doesn't necessarily fully agree with me on that, and that's fine. Judicial review, yeah, you ought to see us talk about that. That's fun. But uh, the legal precedent, 1875, minor versus Happerset. Now, this case wasn't about natural-born citizenship. It was a women's rights case. But to show that women were just as important to the founders as men in many cases, the uh, Chief Justice of the United States of the time, Morrison Waite, defines natural-born citizenship. Okay. Here's what he wrote. Constitution does not, in words, say who shall be natural-born citizens. Resort must be had elsewhere to ascertain that. At common law, with the nomenclature of which the framers of the Constitution were familiar, it was never doubted that all children born in a country of parents who were its citizens became themselves upon their birth citizens also. These were natives, or natural-born citizens, as distinguished from aliens or foreigners. Some authorities go further and include as citizens children born within the jurisdiction without reference to the citizenship of their parents. As to this class, there have been no doubts, but never as to the first. For the purposes of this case, it is not necessary to solve these doubts. It is sufficient for everyone we have now to consider that all children born of citizen parents, plural, within the jurisdiction are themselves citizens. The words all children are certainly as comprehensive when used in this connection as all persons as if females are included in the last, they must be in the first, that they are included in the last not is not denied. In fact, the whole argument of the plaintiffs proceeds upon that idea. Uh, he and, um, well, see, the problem with that case is, one, it's not about the presidency. Two, they leave open, they don't even deal with the situation we have with Ted Cruz, where he's born outside of the United States to an American citizen mother, non-American citizen father. Well, and they even just leave open, well, some people say that if you're born here of non-citizen parents, that's, that qualifies too. Right. But they don't, they don't, they don't, they just say, well, they, they leave that open. So I, I think this case is, doesn't really help us very much in the Ted Cruz situation. Uh, and then we go on to uh, Thomas Jefferson uh, when he penned the Virginia Citizenship Statute of 1779, uh, where he uh, indicates, uh, oh, let's see here, uh, 
that they intend to reside here and moreover shall be assurance of fidelity to the commonwealth that all infants whosoever born whose father if living or otherwise whose whose mother is a citizen at the time of their birth uh, and he was specifically referring to a citizenship a natural born citizenship in that um, so to me the argument's clear but now you wanted to go into a little bit more pragmatic uh, this is what I tell people um, if we allow a democrat one of these Democrats in the office, one of these old white people, uh, we know what we're going to get. We're going to get destruction, the continued destruction that we've seen, if not worse, under Obama. But if we, if, and so we've got to put one of the Republican candidates in there. And so if Ted Cruz was to win the nomination, I'm not stupid. He's he's a, ideologically our best bet when you compare it to the other ones. Okay, but if you he know, is the nominee... So, so what I'm saying Democrat, is... The Democrats are going to bring this up. Oh, absolutely they will. And like I said, the courts aren't going to touch it because it opens up the Pandora's box for Obama. More to the point, though, in the in, in the primary contest, could is it possible for a state uh, uh, attorney general or someone in the state level to put a roadblock in front of Cruz in the primaries uh, by raising the issue? Could, sure. Oh, absolutely. But the only people who do that is either those who support the Democrats or someone who supports Trump. It would be a partisan move. Right. Or okay. actually someone who supports Cruz and wants to get the issue resolved. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, if it goes to the courts, the courts do not want to open that Pandora's box. They do not want to open that with Obama, and they would find him to be a natural-born citizen. I think, I think they could— do a cruise and leave open Obama. We've been visiting with Doug Gibbs, who teaches the Constitution class in Corona, Temecula, and Lake Elsinore. We'll be back with more about this, uh, what's happened this week, and some other uh, developments in the presidential campaign after this break. Stay with us after news and traffic. I'll keep my freedom. I'll keep my guns. Try to keep my money and my religion, too. The news and have to wonder if this country's going crazy. Talking about how much they love it here, but how they want to rearrange it. I'm just your average Joe, and that makes me smart enough to know there's a bunch of us out here that feel the same. Gonna keep our God, our freedom, a little money in the bank. Y'all can keep the change. Welcome back to Unite IE Radio. My name is Greg Britton of the Residence Tea Party Patriots. I'm joined by co-host Don Dix of the Corona Chapter of Act for America, historian and best-selling author John Hancock, and our guest today, Doug Gibbs, of a constitutional expert, author of The Basic Constitution and 25 Myths of the Constitution. We've been hashing out whether Ted Cruz is a natural-born citizen and eligible to serve as president. Doug thinks no, but thinks that they will not... Uh, uh, the courts won't rule otherwise. And then we were talking just before the break about the practical side of this issue. And, John, you brought up during the break uh, that a couple of, there are a couple of states that have actually sort of weighed in on this already, uh, Illinois and New Hampshire. What, what, what have they just uh, Well, said? I agree with, with Doug is, is that, you know, they, no one wants to open this up. So they aren't going to say he's ineligible. And, and we have Illinois, which is a Democrat-run state. Their, their board of elections said that he is, he is eligible. And because there was a contest to have him removed from the ballot. And New Hampshire said the same thing. What's interesting about Illinois is Illinois flat out said he's eligible. New Hampshire said, kind of hedged their bets a little bit, said, barring any clarity from, clarification from the courts, 
he's eligible. So we're seeing this even in very liberal states, um, the, the, the resistance to even take this on. Okay, but the Democrats will do whatever they need to and want to at the moment that serves their political interest at the moment. Right. So if Ted Cruz is the nominee, this will come up either by the Democrat nominee suing, because that person would have standing most likely, or a Democrat secretary of state keeping Cruz off of the ballot, and then Cruz has to sue to get himself back on the ballot. In addition, there's polling data such that there's a fair number of people that are uncomfortable with the idea of a foreign-born president, even though that may not be the determinative constitutional factor. Then you have this high-stakes legal battle going on in September and October over whether Cruz is eligible. And I'm looking at the data here, and every court of appeal, federal court of appeal, has a Democrat majority, some by a very wide margin. And I can, just, I can see very well some of these Democrat judges saying, you know, we're going right. to serve the party's interest, and we're going to find Cruz not to be eligible, and that's going to be a huge distraction during the elections. Then now they're rushing to the court, it's the Supreme Court, trying to get the Supreme Court to make it a, a, a expedited ruling on the subject. What's the practicality of that? Well, Doug? the thing is, they know they need to win in the court of public opinion. I don't think they want to go down that road. I really don't. So if they can't go down that road, what do you think is their other option? Their other option is to replace the old white people with someone that's the new Obama. And that's the reason why I've been talking about Julian Castro. I really believe that if he isn't thrown in at the last second during this election, he will be in the next one. And Julian Castro is? Julian Castro used to be mayor of San Antonio. He was then appointed as director of HUD, uh, uh, Housing and Urban Development. And he's the one that's actually been put to the task by the Obama administration to diversify all these neighborhoods in America. That's so the AFFA uh, stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, and and he's this young, good-looking Mexican, you know, liberal that, you know, is this empty vessel that you can put all your hopes and dreams on just like with Obama. I'm telling you, I, I truly believe he's the next Obama. And I was actually... But not this year. I, I, yeah, it's getting too late this year, but you never know. I mean, you never know what the Democrats will do. But if, if they lose this election, I'll tell you right now, they'll put him in because I think they have, uh, because with him, he's the next Obama. He's a winning combination like Obama was, this young, good-looking minority who is this empty vessel. Well, you know, it's just real interesting. The, the Democrats will do whatever they can. And I agree with you, Greg. You know, the earlier uh, Cruz can settle this thing, I think it behooves him to to get it into the courts, get it settled once and for all as quickly as possible. But, you know, Hillary, in, in six districts, they were tied so close. I want that, that coin. That they flipped a coin, and she won all six times. That's one in 64,000 no, odds. No, 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 no. One in 64. One in 64. Yeah, um, but would she no, be able to win those flips while she's in prison, too, though? That's what I want to know. So, so Iowa, we had a, a we had a mess that uh, that that. Well, I, I don't think it's as much of a mess as the press is making out to be, but uh, it was sort of the tweet heard around the country now, uh, with CNN coming out and saying. Uh, we've got breaking news at quarter of seven before the caucuses were technically open that. Uh, Dr. Carson is going to, you know, skip New Hampshire, South Carolina, go home and then show up to the national prayer breakfast. And, you know, Chuck Todd, as well as uh, the, the bearded guy, Wolf Blitzer, all said, oh, this is important breaking news. And they really played it up. The Ted Cruz campaign jumps on it with a with a uh, memo saying uh, breaking news, according to CNN, and then encourages their 
uh, chair people at these various different caucuses to inc- encourage the Carson voters to consider Cruz. Donald Trump has jumped on it now. What do you guys make of this? Oh, and, and Ted Cruz came out and said, well, you know, we made a mistake. We didn't follow up with a clarifying memo out to our people saying when, when that turned out not to be true. We just forgot to send out the uh, clarifying memo that night. John? Well, I just think it's, um, you know, in today's media, I mean, it, this happens all the time where, where, where someone just retweets something out, resends something out. We had an incident with Glenn Beck with um, Donald Trump saying that the vote in 2000, a lot of people don't look at things. They, they take it on face value and they send it out there. It was a mistake for them to do that. They should have clarified it. But it's not uncommon in today's world for that to happen. You see those mistakes, but I don't think this is a mistake. I think, and, and this may be, this is both a good point for the Cruz campaign and a bad point, is they saw the news and they immediately jumped on it to exploit it. And they didn't, and once the information was clarified, they didn't bother to send that out because that there was working to their advantage in trying to get Carson supporters into their campaign, which could have been a, a close vote. Didn't the, doesn't the Carson campaign have a responsibility, though, to go out and, and report to their people in these caucus uh, in these caucuses in these various counties? Didn't the didn't the Carson campaign have a responsibility to jump on this CNN story and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Carson is in the race. He's not going home and 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 make a clarifying comment. Didn't they have some responsibility here? And that lends credence to the idea that he's politically uh, inexperienced. Interesting. So apparently Ted Cruz's campaign wasn't the only one that jumped on this. There was a tweet by a a Rubio supporter, Conrad Close, that says the Rubio campaign is pushing the narrative hard that Carson is dropping out, obviously looking to pick up votes from Carson. So in all of this mess, we never hear anything from Fox uh, or from any of these other campaigns that Marco Rubio's campaign was also guilty, maybe differently but also guilty of this. Anybody, anybody see the uh, gushing interview with uh, Megyn Kelly and oh, Michael yeah. Rubio? Oh, yeah. Almost, it was almost as gushing as she was with Michael. With, with, what's that guy, Michael Moore? Oh, that was disgusting. I can't even believe Michael Moore got an audience on her show. What was that about? Well, you know, and, and going now that we're on to Megyn Kelly, I mean, just what she did to... Um, um, you know Ted Cruz showing that montage on the uh, at, at the debate on Thursday night, showing him, and then afterwards, after everybody turned off the TV or not everybody, but a lot of people turned off the TV, went to bed or whatever. She had Cruz on the on her show there, and she said, "Well, you know the the record shows you are correct." But this is after people after she um came in with this hit piece. Yeah, that, and then and then moved on. That's a very pernicious thing. Is that is to to run these video attack ads during the debates? That's never been done before, and it gives far more power to of the moderators to manipulate the debate by doing these. What would normally would be a thirty second ad done by by your opponent with these video with this video montage is to do it in the debate, and I think that uh, that should not be allowed. Well, we uh, need to take another break here. We're going to be back with our guest, uh, Doug Gibbs, after uh, this break from... All-Star Collision, the place to take your car if you have an accident because they are truly the kings of wreck and roll. When you're on an auto accident, you want quality repairs done as fast as possible. All you need is All-Star. For over 20 years, All-Star Collision and Corona has delivered quality work and customer service with honesty and integrity. They offer free pickup and delivery, free estimates, and they're approved by all major insurance companies. They repair aluminum and fiberglass bodies with computerized frame straightening to get your car or truck back to factory spec perfection. 
You'll have your vehicle back fast and in showroom condition. Safety checked, washed, and detailed. Fluids topped off with a lifetime warranty on paint and repairs. So exercise your freedom of choice and call All-Star Collision, the kings of wreck and roll, at 951-279-9161. Mention AM590 and get a free rental car for up to five days or $100 off your repairs. 951-279-9161. All-Star Collision. 951-279-9161. AM590. The answer. This is Senator Mike Morrell asking you to tune in to Unite IE Radio every Saturday at 4 o'clock on AM 590, The Answer. Welcome back to Unite IE Radio Program. My name is John Hancock. I'm here with my co-host, Don Dix and Greg Brennan, and we have our special guest, our constitutional, local constitutional expert, Doug Gibbs. Now, Doug, you know, one of the big things is separation of church and state out in Corona, they just, um, they had a meeting, the city council meeting on adding God and trust in, in the, um, in, in, in the council room. Our national right? motto. Yeah, right. national motto there. Yeah. So you went there right. and participated in that. So what, what happened there? Well, you know, I, the moment I heard that they were going to be arguing over whether or not in God we trust should be placed in a prominent location in the city council chambers, I had to be there. I've been involved in the cities of uh, Canyon Lake and Marietta when they did the same. I've heard that Norco and Eastvale has recently done the same. Uh, and to me, it's very important because if you read the Declaration of Independence in the second uh, paragraph of the document, it reminds us that our rights are given to us by God. And in the final paragraph, it reminds us that they did, they put their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor on the line, uh, mutually pledging un- with the understanding that they had the protection of divine providence. So this is an important part of our country. Now, that said, um, my when I stood up to talk, my first response was, I was surprised Corona hadn't done this by now. 142 cities have already done it in California, a much larger number in the United States, and it is the national motto, and it's not pointing towards a Christian God or any particular God, but in God we trust. And uh, And when it comes to separation of church and state, if you read the First Amendment, it says that Congress shall make no law, first of all, city of Corona is not Congress. Congress shall make no law establishing or establishing a religion, nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Um, so now the question is: Does that establishment clause extend beyond Congress making laws to a governmental body, including something like "In God We Trust" on their wall? Well, the answer is over a series of cases following this, uh, the Civil War, the Supreme Court has held that almost all of the Bill of Rights and incorporation of the Bill of Rights to, to, the, to states. the states. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, um, um, John Bingham, who wrote the clause that they use in the Fourteenth Amendment, the Equal Protection Clause, he intended for the Bill of Rights to be applied to the states. But in in during the congressional session, they rejected it, and the ratification uh, conventions all rejected it. So that's why they started doing it through the courts because they couldn't do it politically. Now, here's my question: If the original intent was not to incorporate the Bill of Rights, what gives the court system the right to change the Constitution without amending it? There's no answer to that, <laughs> other, other than because we can. Now, now, detractors of this idea, they cling to this notion of separation of church and state that mm-hmm. emanates from a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote uh, to a particular religious group trying to clarify something. Mm-hmm. So this is – so a letter – not the constant and Thomas Jefferson, by the way, was never involved in the debate of the 90 framers around this whole 
you know, Article One. So Thomas Jefferson wasn't involved in it. He was just weighing in on it in a way. So does so. But ultimately, separation of church and state, Thomas Jefferson's words have been drawn into some of these court decisions. How did that all happen? Well, the Bill of Rights was, first of all, it was uh, the delegations regarding it. It was debated separately from the Constitutional Convention. Okay. First of all, uh, second of all, uh, what really led to it is Thomas Jefferson and James Madison. You got to understand that religion has always been considered a state issue. And what was going on at the time is all of the states, except for two of them, had established religions to the point where tax money was even being used to fund the church. And so in the state of Virginia, uh, James Madison and Thomas Jefferson, who both considered themselves Christians, even though there's a lot will argue that it was otherwise regarding Jefferson, uh, fought to separate church and state at the state level because they didn't believe that well the problem was you had to be a member of a certain religion in order to vote things like that and it just wasn't right so they wanted to separate it in that sense um and taxpayer money not to go towards funding the church so in when thomas jefferson won the election in 1800 those danbury baptists in connecticut you were referring to uh, the Puritan church had control of Connecticut. Those Baptists couldn't vote. They couldn't hold office. They were treated like second-class citizens. So they'd been writing letters to Adams, and Adams, the Federalist, the big government guy, meh, didn't even want anything to do with them. So when Jefferson was elected, they sent him a, a letter and you know, congratulated him on his victory, you know, and, and hey, you know, we knew you were involved in that Virginia thing with, with, with you know, freedom of religion. We really need your help. And he wrote back a letter. It basically said there must be a wall of separation between church and state. What he meant by that, if you read the full context of the letter was, it's none of the federal government's business. You want to change this at the state level, you got to do it at the state level. It has to be done within. Federal government cannot get involved with the state issue of religion. Well, so how, how did that get so misinterpreted now? To, to be completely the opposite. Case that's, law. That's, well, that, and, well, that's a question of the century when it comes to big government people. Let me give you an example. Because what, the big government mind, they, they it's like this current under a boat. It never stops. It's always going at you. And uh, Thomas, I'm sorry, James Madison, five times in his writings, the Federalist Papers, had to explain the definition of a republic. The reason why was at the time the nationalists of the time, who didn't believe the Constitution went far enough to make a big enough government, were trying to convince the people that it democracy and a republic were exactly the same thing even then they were trying to manipulate the language so this is nothing new uh, so we're what we're experiencing is 240 years of manipulation of language and that's the reason why my first book was 25 myths of the united states constitution we've been taught myths since the day we were born and everybody's positively absolutely convinced that's the truth because that's all we've been hearing right okay but it's more than that there the liberals and the left as a, as a conscious intentional multi-decade policy of trying to undermine sure. religion because mm-hmm. undermining because underlying all of leftism liberalism to communism is the marxian principle that the religion is the opiate of the people in fact and if, they want to diminish it and minimize sure. it as much as as much as possible because it serves as a counterweight to the state my uh, next book, which should be out in the next couple of weeks, is called Concepts of the United States Constitution. It's concepts not necessarily named in the Constitution, but exist. Uh, and A Virtuous Society is the final chapter. And I explain that very importance and that war and that battle over uh, having a moral center in this nation and a, uh, the values of the Christian Christian Jewish system as our basis and foundation. And uh, what I tell people is if we are not a virtuous people, we are not a moral people that understands and follows the strict standards of a moral system, we're not capable well, of constitution. And one of the things is, real quick, is, is that the 
human nature is to control and exploit your fellow man. And this was something that, that the founding fathers understood, and this is why they understood that you got to limit people's power in government so that they don't have that authority to exploit people. And, and so this, this, this tendency that he has that he was explained over 240 years is a natural tendency. Well, we need to take a break because we want to exploit your nature to take advantage of the common man by having you go to uh, our sponsor for this half hour if your car has a problem. You will definitely not be exploited at All-Star Collision. (laughs) That's the place to go if you have an accident because they are the kings of wreck and roll and they will take very good care of you as John, you personally can vouch for when you had your car there. Yeah, I've had my car there and did a great job. Been over a year. More of of this discussion after this message. When you're on an auto accident, you want quality repairs done as fast as possible. All you need is All-Star. For over 20 years, All-Star Collision and Corona has delivered quality work and customer service with honesty and integrity. They offer free pickup and delivery, free estimates, and they're approved by all major insurance companies. They repair aluminum and fiberglass bodies with computerized frame straightening to get your car or truck back to factory spec perfection. You'll have your vehicle back fast and in showroom condition, safety checked, washed and detailed, fluids topped off with a lifetime warranty on paint and repairs. So exercise your freedom of choice and call All-Star Collision, the kings of wreck and roll at 951-279-9161. Mention AM590 and get a free rental car for up to five days or $100 off your repairs. 951-279-9161. All-Star Collision. 951-279-9161. AM590. The answer. Welcome back to the United Inland Empire radio program. We've been discussing a broad variety of issues. We've got a broad variety of opinions on, but there's one thing that unites us here, our talk show hosts, along with our guest, Doug Gibbs, and that is that you, our listeners, need to show up and need to be at the Unite IE Conservative Conference on March 19th. This is going to be a great event. It's our third annual uh, conservative conference. We're all going to be there. We want you to be there because only by you being involved, we, one of the things we'd love to say on this radio show is, is that the most important political office is that of private citizen. And if you're not involved in one way or another, and there's a lot of different things you can do, and you're going to learn about what some of the easy things you can do to help turn our community and country around at the Unite IE Conservative Conference. One of the, you know, guys, one of the, one of the great pieces of feedback I can, we continually got uh, from our first two conferences is that why hasn't this been done before? People are hungry for an opportunity. They feel alone. You know, a lot of people I talk to, they're like, gosh, I didn't even know these groups were around. I feel so alone. I watch this stuff. I I don't know where other conservatives are. I feel like I'm, you know, I'm all alone. This is a place for you to come to not feel alone. And you'll have a good time there as well. As uniformly, everyone we've talked to has had a good time there. You'll meet and interact with fellow conservatives. You'll make friends. You can see, you you can go and find about the Unite i.e. groups and how to get involved with that and a great line of speakers including Bill Whittle who was fantastic at our Christmas party, the Politichicks who were at the last year's conference and one of, we had an event with them in, in August. They're excellent and we have Frank Gaffney national security expert and we also have 
invitations out to every candidate to attend. And uh, obviously, a presidential candidate. Right. Individual <laughs> candidate. presidential <laughs> candidates to I'm, attend. I'm the candidate for the mayor of Peoria. <laughs> well, uh, one more thing to add, too, for those who are curious about the groups that are part of Unite IE, many of those groups can have their own table also. And you'll be, have a chance to not only visit these tables, but find out if there's a group that's in your area that you can be a part of. Absolutely. And one of the groups that's actually been doing a lot in their communities, there's there's a lot going on. We talked about the In God We Trust issue that Doug uh, showed up to, the Corona City Council, is uh, Greg, you know, there's there's been some uh, chat about water rates out in your area. What do you have to share with us on well, that? Well, it's more than just chat. The, uh, the city council there has decided to raise water rates over three years by a compounded 45%. Plus, and plus sewer rate increases of 2.5% every year. And uh, their purported reasons are, well, they're, they're selling less water over there in, in Redlands because of the drought-imposed restrictions. But you look at the West Valley Water District, they just canceled a increase they already had in effect, and as well as two more scheduled increases in the West Valley Water District. Right, and I know that the city of Yorba Linda has a very active taxpayers association in the city of Yorba Linda, and they've been pushing back on the proposed rate increases for water in the city of Yorba Linda. So what are you, what are you guys doing? Well, the, the way the procedure is, they could have put this on the ballot, but they did not do so. So you're gonna, you have to write in by March 15th, and you have to get your property address, your parcel number, and that you object to this increase. You've got to send that in affirmatively, and then a majority of the property owners and residents of Redlands to do this. Otherwise, this 45% increase goes through. Is that so, a strict majority or a super majority, two thirds? Uh, no, it's a strict majority, but you actually, actually, an actual majority, not just of, it's not a ballot. It's not like an election where we have the yeses and the noes. Right. And whoever has the most of, of those going to come out, you need the absolute majority of property owners and residents in Redlands to block this 45% rate increase. If you go to our website, redlandsteaparty.net, we have more information. We'll have a form there for that you can download, and, and the form is already filled out, ready for you to be uh, to send in. So it's up to you. Again. Well, and, and this is one of the things, real quick, that is, you know, people are cutting back on water, so they think, you know, okay, I'm saving on water, I'm not watering my yard, so now I'm saving extra money, but no, the government's going to come and take that extra yeah. savings from you. The government, the answer is always to get more money from the people. It's never for government to be more effective or efficient. Absolutely. Well, we've had uh, the real privilege of having Doug Gibbs as part of our radio show. Doug teaches the Constitution classes in the city of Corona, the city of Temecula, and in uh, Lake Elsinore. Right. And uh, you can attend his classes on Monday evenings uh, in Corona, Thursday evenings in Temecula. And, and your books are available on, on Amazon? They're available on Amazon. I have a third one that's out also about abortion, uh, the, that issue, and the new one, Concepts, will be out real soon. You can learn about all of this at Douglas V, as in victory, douglasvgibbs.com, douglasvgibbs.com. And I'm sure there's going to be other issues that are going to unfold in this oh, campaign. Sure. You'll mm-hmm. come back and be a Absolutely. guest on our show in the future. Great. As always, go to the UniteIE.com website to get more information about not only Doug's class, but all the groups throughout the Inland Empire that are involved in helping to take back control and return the citizen voice, which is so very important in our local and county governments and state. We'll show we'll share more of those with you in the upcoming weeks. Thanks for tuning in as always. The United Inland Empire Radio Program every Saturday at four o'clock. Y'all can keep the chain. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.